You know what time it is. It's time to get inspired, get focused, and get results. It's time to get inked. Welcome to today's program. We're so excited that you've joined us. Now sit back, relax, and let's learn some good stuff together. Hey everybody, Fiona here coming to you again with another podcast on Get Inked. I hope you're ready today for another great show. And whatever it is you're doing, I hope that you're having fun, even if you're working out. Because if you're having fun, then you are going to get some good results. Now, today what I want to talk to you about is called a purpose map. This is something that I've done for my clients and uh, where we have designed a map that helps them outline their purpose and how they're going to get that accomplished. We, I asked them some questions that maybe nobody's ever thought about. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get started, let's get into prayer. So Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. And I thank you, Father, that you are Almighty God. You created us and you formed us purposefully. All of our gifts and abilities have been put into us for a way that we don't even know as yet. But we are here to do your will, Father. And I pray today that as people listen to this, that their ears will be open to your plan. Their eyes will see your plan. And Father, if there's obstacles in their way that they don't even know about as yet, you will reveal it to them and you will give them the help they need to remove it. We thank you today, Father, for your good mercies that are new every morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So to get started today, I always like to build what I'm teaching, even when I'm consulting with a client. I like to build it on the Word of God because the Word of God, the Bible tells us, has already been tried and purified seven times. It's in the book of Psalms. So that's a word that has been used already. It's been tested. It's been tried. And it has been found to be successful. So we're going to read from Psalm 139, which is, if you know me well, which if you don't, you're going to get to know me pretty soon. My favorite verse is, is found in Psalm 139, where God talks about how he wrote a book about us before we were ever formed. But I want to start with verse one, and it says here, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. Isn't that awesome to have somebody in your life that knows everything there is to know about you? And whether or not you've received Jesus as your Savior to have God as your Father, it doesn't matter because God is God. He's Almighty God. He knows everything. And so He already knows everything about you. The question is, are you allowing Him to help you use what He knows about you so you can make life easier? And so here we have Psalm 139. And if we go to verse, uh, I'm going to go around verse 14. And it says, I thank you, God for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelous, breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about, about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body. When you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me, from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became matter. Isn't that awesome? Before I became 
before I ever even was seen or have seen the light of day. I'm reading from the Passion Translation, by the way, in case you're wondering what this is. The number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you are thinking of me, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every, every thought. Have you ever wondered if, some, if people are even thinking about you? I remember when I was growing up and um, we lived in Guyana. I'm, I'm from Guyana. And I was, um, when I was a teenager, a little girl, we have family members that lived in America. Sometimes I'd lie in my bed and I'd be, I wonder what my cousins are doing now in America. And I wonder if they even think about us here in Guyana. I always thought that. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we think about people and wonder if they even know we exist. We wonder, is somebody thinking about me? Um, if you have a relationship and you're having a hard time right now, you might be thinking, hey, I don't even know the person thinks about me. Well, there's one person we can be for sure that we know God is constantly thinking about us. And the thing about God is when he thinks about us, he's not thinking about our past. He is thinking about our future and he's thinking about the things that he has planned for us. And he is excited about it before we ever get there because he knows how good it is. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139 that God is constantly thinking thoughts about it. And if you read in some different versions, it says that his thoughts about us are weighty. It means it carries value and weight. It would stand up to any form of measurement and it's not shorted. You ever had any situation where when you go to buy something and it's weighted, it's supposed to be one pound and somehow it got to be, I don't know, uh, 0.98 instead of one, two ounces are missing. But in God's, um, in God's vocabulary, in God's character, we don't have missing things. He adds to us and he gives us more than we could ask or think. That's found in the book of Ephesians. So God, we know when he thinks about us, his thoughts are futuristic, not that someday it will happen, but he knows our future and he is excited about our future. So I don't know what you're going through today, what's going on in your life. If you're depressed, then just know that somebody's excited about your future. You can get excited on credit. If you're excited today, if you're having a fabulous day, then get more excited because God is so excited about your future that he, he wants to tell you about it. Have you ever been excited about something? And the first person you could think about, like whoever is your best friend or the person that's closest to you, that's the one you want to go tell right away. You send them a note, you call them, you text them, whatever it is you do, however you communicate. But you have to tell somebody the good news. Well, God wants to tell you the good news about your future. The problem is sometimes we get so stuck in the past, mourning the past, that even if God tells us the beautiful future that he has for us, we don't believe him because we still rate ourselves and we still judge and, uh, you know, judge and grade ourselves based on the last mistake. We don't even think about the last victory. We're thinking about the last mistake. Now, I don't really do that a lot. I don't think about past mistakes. I just move on from it. <laughs> but there are many people, especially some of my clients I've helped, this is why I'm helping them is because to get unstuck from something that did not go right in the past. And whether it could be a big thing, you know, it could be that you had a horrible marriage relationship and you did break it off 
but you're still stuck. And um, many of the things that you're stuck on are things like, what could you have done better? Maybe I should have never married them. What? Why did I marry them? How did I not know? Why did God not stop me? Well, here's the thing. We are living, breathing, moving beings. And God gave us a free will. And many times you may meet someone and they're a certain way, but as life progress, they change. And their change may not necessarily be something that is conducive anymore to your life, that adds to your life. You have to realize that when people um, get married, they end up seeing closely the lifestyle of someone else. And if, they're, if they have a tendency to compare themselves or to be in competition, when they see how easy it may be for you to do something that's very difficult for them to do, they may get into jealousy. Then this will start build resentment. And then this is where you end up having a problem. Whereas if somebody were, were watching you publicly and they saw you do something amazing, they might they might assume that you spend a lot of hours and a lot of time perfecting this thing. That's why you're so good at it. And so for that reason, they admire you. But let's say they marry you or they come to live in your house and realize you spend two minutes a day on it and you're better than the person who spends 10 hours a day on it. If they have a problem with perfection or if they have a problem with you have to work hard to earn something, then they would have a problem with you. That's just automatic. And then hence, we have these resentments. We have these issues that go on in relationships. And when they are not addressed, this is when things get out of hand. So that's just one example for you. And, and you have to know there's something in you that is so easy to do that people could be jealous of it if they found out. And that's a thing that you don't have to try to make it hard because it's hard for everybody else. You should thank God that it's easy for you and realize that is your gifting from God that is so unique. It's a gift. That's why it's so easy. It's not because you're so good at it. It's because God put that in you and he's so good at how he created you. That's how we look at these things. You know, when I was in grad school, I attended Regent University and I got my master's there in business, my MBA. And while I was attending, it was the most bizarre thing. I was a graduate student. Um, so I worked as a graduate assistant for one of the professors. And so I would be in the office area where all the professors had their offices. So the, so my teachers were in that same area. So I remember this class that we had, which was the final class that you would take. Instead of writing a thesis, this was the class you took. And you had to do these case studies, and then you had to do this one big presentation in front of CEOs of different local companies would come, and they would question you on your answers for different things. So I remember that these case studies, they were like 50, 60 pages long, I think, something like that. And uh, the, the goal was, this was your last class that you would take, you'd take it in final semester, and you, you, people spend weeks on it. So they give you these case studies in the, for, in the beginning of the semester so that you can start working on it to work for the end. Well, I remember this class ended up being one of the first classes I had to take in the first semester because I did a little reverse turn on my degree. Instead of spending all the time that I should have spent, I guess, that normal, normally would be for the degree, I went and I said to them, I want to get out in a year. 
So we had to work some things around. They've never had this happen. Nobody's ever, it's never been done for anyone. So I said, that's not the question I asked you. I didn't ask you if it's ever been done. I'm telling you, I want to get out in this amount of time. And so this is what I need you to do. How did I do that? That's because God gave me that instruction. So I figured if he gave me the instruction, he's got a plan. I just need to go present the instruction to the people that would, you know, that could possibly help me make this happen. So here we are. In order for me to do this plan, I had to reverse all of my classes. So I had to take all my senior courses first and then take all my freshman courses at the end because that's just the way the classes, how the classes ran. So I said, fine, it's no problem with me. So this strategic class, it was called strategic management. This class was was in my first semester, which was unusual because you're supposed to put all of the things that you've learned throughout the other semesters into this class and apply all those knowledge. Well, here's what happened to me. Here's how I used to do these cases. I would wake up the morning that the cases do, and this is no lie, guys. This is how I did it, okay? The, um, the first case, I didn't do this way because I thought I had to do it like everybody else is doing it. I was spending all this time reading it and all this stuff. And so the first case, I got the lowest um, grade on. But after that, all my other cases, I got the highest grades. So, the, so what I would do is, I would read the beginning couple pages of the case study. I would flip to the middle of it, smack dab in the middle of it, just read, and then flip to the end and read. And these case studies, we had to analyze it and answer certain questions. So we had two pages to do this in, and we could not go over two pages, and we had to answer these specific questions and back them up with research. So what I would do is I would sit in my room 7 a.m. The class was at 9 a.m. I would wake up at 7 a.m., start uh, reading the beginning, middle, end, and then I would write my answers out. And then I would send it to the school printer in the library. This is how we did back in the day. I would send it to the school printer in the library. After I have written my paper, then I would go find evidence to back up what I've just said. So I would do the research online. They had electronic um, research paper, you know, that you could find. I would look online, find people that backed up what I just said, and then I would put that as part of my thing, print those references, and have them all waiting for me at the school library. So this is 7 o'clock in the morning. I wake up. I would do that. I would then take a shower, get ready, eat my breakfast, drive over to the school library, walk in, pick up my papers, go to class, and hand it in. The first uh, paper I did, which was where I took a lot of time, I read, I thought about it, I reanalyzed my answer and everything else, I got a, uh, I believe it was a 95 the, the papers after that, I got 100% every time. So what was happening is, and I spent less than two hours because my class started at 9 a.m. and I woke up at 7. And every time these papers were being graded, I would know that my teacher is grading it because I'd see him with a stack of papers in his office and he's pulling them one at a time and he's grading. He's across the office from where I am uh, working with my professor I'm working for. And I would get so nervous because I knew that I probably spent 20, maximum 30 minutes on this case. And so I, you know, I would always get so nervous. So one day he walks over and he has his poker face. You know, I never know if I did it good or not or whatever. And he has my paper in his hands. And so this is after like three 100% papers, you know, and I'm like, okay, finally, this is the one that I just like, oh, it's going to all come to a head now. So he walks in and he slaps the paper on the table and he says, um, he, so I look at the paper, it's 100%. And he says to me, it's very clear to me that you spend a lot of time on these papers. And you spend a lot of time 
thinking about this and, and making sure that you come up with the proposals that are necessary and all this stuff. And I said, I put my head down. I shook my head and I smiled. I said, sir, I'm so, so sorry to tell you this. I hate to tell you this. He goes, what? And I said, I probably spent 20 minutes max on these papers. He goes, well, then my child, you have a gift. And I went, oh, he says, yes. He says, nobody could pull this off. The, the stuff that you've written, nobody could pull this off unless they have a gift. And I went, really? He says, yes, you have a gift. And I went, thank you. <laughs> and see, that really freed me up because strategy is my thing. I could see a solution as somebody's giving me a problem. It just, that's just how I operate. But that's my gift from God. And so until this professor pointed it out to me, I probably would always feel guilty that I didn't spend so much time on solving problems like everybody else has to, even people with higher level degrees. So, so what I'm saying to you, what am I saying to you? I'm saying this. Find the thing that you're so good at. You could do it with your eyes closed. You could do it with one hand tied behind the back. You could do it with 500 emergencies going on and you're the guy they call, you're the lady they call and say, come on in, we need this. And in two seconds, you have an answer. You know who did that in the Bible? Joseph. Joseph did that with dreams. He always said it was God that gives the interpretation and that's still true. It's God that gives us the ability to use our gifts, whatever that thing is. God's the one that fired it up in us and put it in and it's fired up and ready to go. And so I stopped feeling guilty. Like I never felt guilty, pressure guilty, but I always felt like, oh, this is the time that it's going to just like expose me for only spending so little time when all my other classmates would be spending hours and they'd be talking to each other, you know, discussing because you couldn't discuss your answer with everybody, but they were discussing how much time and what they're spending doing it and all this stuff. And me, I was not really doing all of that. So I am just excited to know that I have a gift that uh, I could do this quick thing that nobody else could. So what is your gift? What's your thing? What I want to talk to you, I'm going to look at my paper here that I have, and I have a, uh, I have this process that I take people through, and it's called the, um, I call it the purpose map. And you ask yourself these questions. See, sometimes we don't ask ourselves the right questions. This is a good way to give yourself accountability. And here's the first question. What or who, who does your life serve? Who does your life serve? Are you... Who are the people that benefit from your life instead, you know, apart from you? And, you know, in parentheses, I, I say here, is it your husband, your children, your church, your work, yourself? I hope that yourself is included in this. Don't exclude yourself. But beyond you, who else does your life serve? Does it serve somebody other than your family? When does it serve outside of your house? What gifting do you have in you that could influence people outside your house? This is the key. You want to ask yourself that. If you're not doing that right now, ask yourself why. That would be the follow-up question. Why is nobody outside of my house being influenced by what I do and who I am? And if they are being influenced, the next question is, are they being influenced to be better? Or when I speak to them, 
I end up stirring things in them that cause them to be frustrated or, you know, mad at me or mad at the world or feel like they're not good enough. Now, there's a thin line here because when you um, stir someone up, it depends on what you're stirring them up in, but there are times when people will probably get mad at you because you've asked them a question that nobody's ever asked and you've kind of like confronted them with things that maybe they were hiding. So that's not necessarily the gauge as, as far as if they get mad. But the, the thing is this, when you enter a room, what atmosphere enters with you? That's how you know how you affect other people. Is it an atmosphere of, wow, we better watch what we're doing because this person's here? In a, in a way of accountability, not, oh, they're so mean, they're going to hurt me. You know, that's abusive. <laughs> but if it's like, we better be on our top game because this person is on their top game and they expect excellence, that's, a, that's an awesome atmosphere to carry with you. Or is, are you the person that when you walk in a room, people are like, oh, thank God you're here. I was just, I miss you. You, you bring such joy to us. Like when you come in, we know everything's going to be okay. Are you the person that when you come in the room, people are like, oh, finally you're here. You are so good at making sure we all stay calm and whatever we need, you get it done. You're so good at that. See, that's, you want people to start finding out what you're really good at doing and you develop that thing. And I just want to speak to you today that you remove any shame, condemnation, uh, hint of um, hiding how you could do something so well, because you might not even realize it until we're talking today and you realize, oh, it's a gift. I don't have to explain it. The other thing with a gift is sometimes you're so good at it that it's hard to teach it. And it wasn't meant to be taught. Your gift was meant to be caught. And what that means is that your gift was meant to be exposed to the atmosphere, to be exposed outside of you so people can catch what it carries. And in some cases, people will catch what it carries for the sake of, um, of, of building their own gifting up, or they will just catch what you're carrying for them to be just edified. And, and affirmed and reassured where they don't have to learn to do what you're doing, but they just need to receive from what you're doing. And those are some of the different ways that we operate our giftings. For example, somebody who is very, very, who has an amazing voice. I mean, they're beautiful. When they sing, you just like, wow. You almost think they have effects on their voices. It's like there's no way the human voice could sound like that. And and even the way they sing and the way the emotions that they carry with the songs, it just soothes you. Well, you you want to catch that for the for the sake of being comforted, for the sake of just having a peaceful atmosphere, for the sake of just being calm down, like your body just gets relaxed and you're restored back from whatever busyness was going on. You don't necessarily want to listen to them for the sake of learning how they're doing what they're doing so you can copy it because that's an element of their gift that you can't really copy because all that comes out of their voice is is also what's in them. It, when God gives us a gift, 
that he wants to affect the world, a gift that um, is not something that we need to teach, but something that we need to just give freely, just like let it let it just come out of us, then he will put elements in it there. When he activates it in you, you yourself could not teach it even if you try. One of the things that Jesus did with his disciples, you never see him teaching them how to heal the sick. He never taught them how to cast out demons. He taught them the word of God. He taught them the word because the word of God is what will build their faith. His faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith doesn't come by learning and seeing what somebody else did to get a result. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Now, seeing what someone else did to get a result is not bad to watch because Jesus had the disciples with him all the time and they watched what he did, but he never stopped them and said, okay, when you're going to heal the sick, here's what you're going to do. You're going to let them come ask you first. And then when they ask you all that they want, you're going to make sure that you say, what is it that you want? Now I'm going to give you what you want. I can't give you just what I want you to have. I have to give you what you say you want. See, they had to catch these little things. He didn't teach them any of that. And then he didn't say, because then the other thing that Jesus did was many times when he healed the sick, when he raised the dead, when he cast out demons, he didn't do it all the same way. He had different ways that he did it. And the Bible says that Jesus didn't do anything he didn't see his father do. So Jesus was following the examples of what God would do. And Jesus was being led by Holy Spirit because we know it was the Holy Spirit that led him into the wilderness. He, see, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, but he overcame the temptation. There's a difference there. You could be led into the, you could be led into a place by Holy Spirit, but then it takes your own character, your value, your belief, your faith in God to carry out the assignment that is necessary in that area. So that's what I want you to think about today as we, we're going to take a break here. And then I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to think about what is it about you? Who do you serve? And are you, is it, is it just the people in your house or have you expanded your serving base to somebody outside of the house? When we come back, I'm going to show you how Serving people in your house could also expand your base outside of your house. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to be right back. Hey, folks. I hope you're enjoying today's podcast. Fiona here. I wanted to share with you something that's very close to my heart, and it's about my kids that are in Guyana and some other kids around the world that our orphanage organization supports. Bless the Children Home Orphanage. We provide food, shelter, clothing, and much, much more. A future for kids that don't have anywhere else to go. We take care of them. We help them past graduating high school, into a Bible school, into college, wherever it is that they need to go. We help them do these things. And so I would love for you to participate with us in this. If you want to find out more, just go to blessthechildrenhome.org and you'll find all of our information there. Thank you so much for thinking about our kids. They would love to meet you someday. Maybe you can even plan a trip to go to Guyana in South America and visit with them. Now back to our program. 
Okay, so we're back. And I want you to know that there are things that you could do for people inside of your house that will affect outside of your home. So for example, how are you treating your spouse, your children, your family members, your siblings, your parents? Um, if you live alone, how do you treat yourself? Because how people are treated inside of the house by you will build up your character and build up your experience in how you treat people for how you will behave outside of the house. It also will give you a, you have, you have clients, so to speak, right in your house to give testimonial to the way that you are and how you live and how you operate and testimonials to your giftings. That's what you're wanting to happen. You want, you want people to give testimony of the gifts of God. And there's more than one. There's not just one, but the gifting of God in you that are operating freely to give to people. You're not holding it back. You're not covering it up. And you're not saying it's not good enough because the enemy wants you to curse your gift so that it cannot function at the level in which God put it in you to function. The thing that the devil wants to curse in you are the best things that God has put in you. He wants you to subdue them. So he wants you to subdue them in, in the sense of not letting them come to light. Let them stay under shame, condemnation, and in some cases, disgrace. And he wants you to feel like they're not worthy to be shared with anyone. So if he can get you to do that, that's really a cursing of your gift. And it's a stealing of it. The devil comes in John 10, 10, the Bible tells us. The enemy comes, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that I may give you life and life more abundantly. So your gift is supposed to grow. It's supposed to go from glory to glory. It's supposed to build. The audience for your gift is supposed to grow. So as you build your experience in your own home and in your own life concerning yourself, you will find that outside of your house, Things will expand and things will grow. And at the right time, you will be ready. Now, here we have Joseph. And he had this gift of administration on his life. And he could just administrate with no problems. And so his father, in his own home, his father had him go uh, to check up on his brothers and to take supplies to them. And when he went there, he did um, do that gifting as far as administration uh, from what his father asked. But there was another gift in him. And that was the gift of dreams and interpreting dreams. And he had gotten a dream and he decided to share his gift with his family and with his brothers, to be more precise. And their response to him was to kill him, except for one brother who said, no, let's not kill him. And so they put him in a, in a ditch and then they sold him as a slave. And then we all know the story. But here's the end. The end result of that story was he became prime minister of a country in which he wasn't born in or was not their religion. So he was the only God-fearing man in that country, when you think about it. And so when his brothers finally meet up with him years later, where they thought he was dead or they didn't know what happened to him, his response to them was this, what you meant for evil, God turned into good. We have to have faith in that verse, in that word. It's in Genesis 37, somewhere around there. Read the life of Joseph, the story of Joseph's life. 
And what you find is when we have faith in God and his word, we stop holding grudges and holding vengeance in our heart. And because when we hold those things in our heart, that's what we have to give to atmospheres when we go into it. So when anybody speaks to us, no matter what they're talking to us about, we already have this defense up to, to defend and protect ourselves from them hurting our gift. So imagine if Joseph had decided to let his brothers hurt his gift. Imagine how his atmosphere around him would have changed. The people would have never been able to recognize God's gift in him. He would have blended in with all the other people that do what he did with God's ability. Let me explain. When the um, the prisoners, the two prisoners that were with him in prison, what they did was um, he, one of them had a dream. And so he interpreted the dream. When they went back to the king, he even asked them for a recommendation. And it was two years before the person gave the recommendation. But what happened is when he did such an extremely... Um, amazing job, unlike anyone else that, that has ever done this job, that in the king's palace, he stood out as a prisoner who interpreted dreams because that's the only context in which this, um, it's either the baker or the um, the wine taster, I don't remember which one it was, but whichever one of these guys, it is um, in that context, they only knew him as a prisoner, which was a peer to them. He was just like them except for this thing. And this thing was his gift, interpreting dreams. It was one of his gifts. He was also using his administrative skills in the prison. The prison guard, the warden, knew him as a great administrator. But this guy that he interpreted the dream for didn't really know him that way. This guy knew him as a great dream interpreter. Do you see how he used two of his giftings in one place for two different audiences, And he got two different results. So here this fella is in the palace two years later serving the king who had a dream that all the experts around him did not know how to interpret. And this man remembered the dream interpreter that stood out above every person demonstrating their gift in front of him. And he made the recommendation. Joseph came and he appeared, he gave the interpretation, he said it's from God, it's God that gives the interpretation, and then he gave it to him. At that point, what happened is the king recognized that this man was different than all the experts he was paying. So when the recommendation came from Joseph now of what God said should happen, then the king now tapped into one of his other gifts that came from God because his other gift gave the solution his dream inter his gift of dream interpretation interpreted what the king dreamt and what it means and he could have ended it there but he had another gift in him that he didn't hold back and so that other gift got to speak in front of the king and that gift gave a solution and the king already realizing none of the people here could have solved the first problem why would they be able to solve this second problem? And so the king gave him the position. Do you see how this works? Now, if Joseph had held in resentment, held on to things, uh, identified with who his brothers said he was, then he would have held back 
his gifts. He would have held back interpreting dreams. He would have held back administrating to the extent in which he did it. He administrated so well that he was left in charge of everything without being checked up on. That's amazing in a culture where power and control led things. He was in a culture where people are constantly checking on each other, but nobody ever checked on him. The only thing they were concerned about is what they were eating. That's all they cared about. Everything else was running so well. It was multiplying. It was increasing that nobody had to check on him. And the reason is because he utilized his gift well. He served well the atmospheres that he was put into. He served well the environments that he was placed into. And he did well with his gift. So this is just the first question, folks, that I ask on this list. And look at how much we've already gotten to. And I'm saying to you this Examine yourself and see how and who benefits from your giftings and your abilities and what it is that you do. Now, once you figure that out, okay, who your life serves, who does your life serve, then the next thing that um, that we want to talk about is what functions are needed for your life to serve your current audience. So, for example... Um, do you need to know how to handle finances? Do you need to know how to cook, how to clean, how to organize, how to balance your work life, how to have time management? So see, we have the gift, okay? And that's amazing in itself. But there are other things about our life that needs to support it, need to prop it up. So for example, let me explain it to you this way. In a museum, when you go to a museum, you, and if it's a museum that, that uh, displays these expensive art or artifacts, or uh, very um, rare gems, or things from around the world, the museum has the gem. Let's say it's a vase. It's a very unique vase that's thousands of years old. So the museum had this, was given this item, it was endowed to them, so they have this item. And so now they need to make it attractive for the people that are coming to see it. And in order to make it attractive for the people coming into view and show its value, there are certain things that they would do. They would put it on its own, most likely. It would be literally on a pedestal. It would most likely be surrounded in a way where it couldn't tip over and fall and break. It may have something covering it to protect it from dust, but still be seen, usually a glass casing. And in most cases, there would be a security system surrounding it that if someone were to reach and touch it to pull it away, alarms would go off and everything would stop and everybody would run towards it. That's the setup you would see in a museum where, where you're going to have hundreds and thousands and possibly millions of people come through on a yearly basis over the lifetime of the display. And this is how they would treat a very precious vase. Well, here's the thing, folks. Your life, you are way more precious than a vase. And God has put you, the, the pedestal that he wants to put you, he wants to put your life on display. God wants to put your life on display because he thinks you're awesome. And if you don't think that, he, he wants you to think that. And he has 
so many great plans for you, but he wants you to have to first realize the value that you hold. But here's the other scenario. Let's say the museum gets his vase. They know how valuable it is. They they've have their appraisers look at it. The appraiser has given the value of it. It is precious. Nobody else in the world has it. They're the only ones that have this specific vase. And they decide that the best way to display this thing is to get their trash can, their, their big dumpster from the outside. And they're going to put this vase on top of the dumpster and just tell everybody, here is this, this is a priceless vase. This is what, um, we're the only ones that have it. No one else has it. This is it. Come see this vase. It will blow you away. It's beauty. It's so amazing. And as people come and they have no protection for it, if somebody touches the trash bin or the cover, the lid to, um, too closely, it might tip over, the thing could break, you know, all this. It's just wide open. And so people come in and they see this. Let's say that there was no um, there was no dictation given. There were no words spoken about this vase. Nothing was told about it. Nobody knows that it's valuable. Nobody knows it's priceless. And nobody knows that this is the only place that has one like it in the world. And people came in and saw the way that it was displayed. They saw it was on top of a trash can. Do you think people will actually stand there for a long period of time to um, to admire the beauty of the vase? Let's say the vase itself is so beautiful that it attracts people to admire it. But because it's set on a dumpster and because of the way it's set up, just the smell of the dumpster, the size of the dumpster, the, uh, the, the out-of-placement of the dumpster in contrast, to everything else that's around it, people will probably not even, they will notice the dumpster more than they would notice the vase. I can guarantee you that. In an environment where there's mostly, there's all precious paintings, jewels, artifacts, and here is a dumpster. People will recognize that a dumpster has been left in the middle of the auditorium and they may not even see the vase. They will think the dumpster is part of the display and they're going to try to figure out why. They will smell this stuff and they can't be there for very long. Well, when we hold resentment, when we hold all the garbage from our past, when we decide that's what we want to focus on, we want to plant ourselves on a, on a dumpster in the middle of God's museum of art of other people, it's hard for people to be around us for a long time. And for sure, they're not going to recognize the value in us because we've put ourselves in such a state that we are even repulsed by. And this, and then, and then, now let's say the vase has a, um, let's say the vase, you know, could get hurt. The vase has feelings, you know, so the vase could see people coming and see everybody kind of like gingerly walking away and not spending as long as they would spend in front of another piece of art or another painting. Then the vase is now going to become defensive. The vase is going to start thinking things like, well, nobody likes me. Everybody's always like going over there to that. Everybody, everybody thinks that person's prettier. Everybody thinks this is better than me and they don't like me, and what's wrong with me? And the point is, nothing is wrong with you. It's how you've displayed yourself. It's, wh it's where you've been put. It's all the trash you're sitting on top of. That's what's wrong, 
but nobody could get close to who you really are because you have established yourselves that way. This is what happens when we're constantly bogged down by the past mistakes, the past terror, the past hurt. The pa- Now, there's a place for that. It's in the coach's office. It's in the counselor's office. But when you get out into the real world, when you get out into the atmosphere, the places you're supposed to impact, to show God's gift in you, bring the gift display it on the pedestal God has planned for it. Let it be protected by God's security system. Psalm 91 is a great system. Psalm 91 is a great security system that God has in place for his gifts and abilities in us. Use Psalm 91, that baby, as you go out into the world with it. In your home, let your best gifts shine. Let your best gifts be given to your family. Even if there's rejection there, it will be so, your gift should be so powerful and so potent that people will come back and ask you for it. That's what Joseph's brother had to do, brothers had to do. They came back to him asking him for help. They didn't know it was him at first, but then when he revealed himself, himself, they didn't run away. They asked for forgiveness. And that's when he revealed what you meant for evil, God turned into good. Or what the devil meant for evil, God turned into good as we say today. So these are some, these are just two of the questions that I have on this map that I use um, to help my clients. There are a lot more that go into this. And then we start this process of discovery and seeing who you are, what you do, you know, all this stuff, what do you think you need in order to function? See, and here's the catch. Your gift could break through any amount of trash that the enemy tries to bury you in. Have you ever seen um, a tree grow out of a rock or uh, something just break through concrete and it just starts growing, even if it's a weed? or a tree. It just it just breaks through. I mean, you when you touch the leaves, it could actually like bend in your hand. It would blow in the wind, but this thing broke through concrete. How did that happen? You know what happened? It was the roots underneath that started separating the underground of the concrete. It literally broke through from the inside out. So the question today is this, what kind of roots do you have? If you have roots of bitterness and unforgiveness and um, resentment and regret, whatever the roots are that you're carrying around, it's going to break through whatever ground you are in. And And the tree, the leaves will start growing. And then the fruit, once the fruit appears, we see what kind of tree it is. So the question is, do you want to be known as the tree that has this bitterness walking around with bitterness, you know, breaking through bitterness in everybody's driveway? You know, you're the tree that's growing in the driveway and when people try to pick your fruit, it's bitterness. You don't want to be that. You want to be the tree whose roots are rooted in the spirit of God that brings forth the fruit of the spirit right? The fruit of the Spirit of God found in Galatians 5.22. That's the type of tree that you want to have that when you go into any atmosphere, it can be established in that atmosphere. It breaks underneath the roots. Your roots are so strong and so mighty because of God 
and it breaks the ground up. And then it starts growing through and breaking through. And then when people start seeing the fruit and they pull from your tree and they eat that fruit, it's a fruit of the spirit. It's not bitterness. It's not um, envy. It's not any of those things. It's not resentment. It's not rejection. It's not shame and condemnation. It is the fruit of the spirit that you are producing in your atmosphere, that when people have a conversation with you, when they eat from your life, when they drink in whatever you're speaking out of your mouth, whatever you're saying, if you're a minister, if you're an administrator, whenever you come into the room and there's a problem, everything is in confusion and you bring everything back into clarity. If you're a teacher, a person has a lack of knowledge on a subject and you are the teacher of that subject. When you show up, man, it's as clear as day. That's the stuff you produce without the resentment and the hatred and all that stuff and the rejection the feeling of rejection, you don't produce those things when you don't have a root system that has a little bit of bitterness in it. You may very well be a Christian that shows love to people, and those are things that we all should show, but what about your gift? How well does your gift work? How much does it produce? Can it override everybody else and do things that nobody else has ever seen done? You know, until my professor told me about, child, you have a gift. I would have never thought strategy was a gift. I would have thought people that would tell me, you're just a know-it-all. I would have thought that about myself. I would have thought, well, yeah, I'm just a know-it-all. I better not give them an answer because here again, they're going to tell me I'm a know-it-all. Now that I know strategy is my gift and I know quickening is my gift and I know a lot of gifts that I have, I know what they are. And I realize too that people who work really hard to do these things and to be in these positions and to accomplish the things, I could just walk into a room, hear the problem for two seconds and have an answer. I know that when I produce an answer that quickly, people who have worked so hard all their lives to do it would be so upset with me, would be jealous and resentful and hate it. I know that. So I don't take offense to it because I know it because if I didn't have that gift and I was working hard towards something and to accomplish something somebody walked in and in two seconds they are doing it without any just dry right there then I might have a problem too if I didn't if I wasn't confident in what my actual gift was so see there are things we can learn to do that will take us a lot longer because we're learning it we are building ourselves up in it. We're learning it from scratch. But there's some things in us that just is a gift from God. And that thing in us, it is our responsibility to groom it, to build it, and to, to take remove every bit of clutter from around it that's possible. We're going to take a break right now. I want you to think about all this stuff, a lot of stuff I just told you about. And then after this break, we're going to wrap things up. My friend, Dr. Kathy from Daystar Natural has been helping me and my family for over 10 years now with natural nutrition. I asked her to share with us exactly what it is that she does so I could share with my audience and give you guys the benefit of working with her. Here's what she had to say. She said, the techniques we use employ an all natural approach to evaluating the body and promoting improved health and continued wellness. In fact, thousands of people around the world benefit from these very same techniques 
every day. We all want to feed our bodies with good nutrition and take effective nutritional supplements. And maybe you are already eating a special diet or taking nutritional supplements, but you just do not feel any healthier and question whether you are receiving any benefits at all. Our cutting-edge techniques enables us to determine exactly what your body needs and then design a customized nutritional program specifically for you using the principles of whole food nutrition. Proper nutrition is highly beneficial to support the body's job of healing many common conditions such as fatigue, allergies, headaches, menopausal symptoms, joint pains, obesity, hair loss, and skin conditions, just to name a few. Imagine not needing to take risky and expensive pharmaceuticals anymore. If you have a problem that could be helped nutritionally, friends, I'm telling you, give my friend Dr. Kathy a call. Daystar Natural, they are going to help you out. If you'd like to contact them, just go on to the website, daystarnatural.com. That's daystarnatural.com right on there. She has all of her contact information, including a form that you can contact her through and she will be able to set you up. Her and her team will set you up with the proper uh, contact information you need, how they can uh, work with you and all the things that you need to start getting healthy from a perspective of natural approach without all of the invasive stuff that happens today in our medical industry. I hope that you'll give her a call and when you do, tell her Fiona sent you. So we're back and I hope that you were able to digest some of the stuff I just talked about. So let's wrap this all up and let's think about what it is that we have in us that we've been hiding. And we're going to look at, you know, if you've ever done any of these tests, you know, the motivational gifts test, your personality test, um, the love language test, all those things, they're good tools to use. But remember, every person is different and every person is unique. So even though that's a general direction of how you function, or some of the um, tendencies you have, or the character traits you have, the way that you use it, the way you pull them all together, the way you work them all out is completely unique to you. There's nobody else that will utilize your um, personality, your love language, your spiritual gift, your motivational gift. Nobody else will utilize the combination of it the way that you do. So never forget this, because you could be right next to somebody who is choleric. You're choleric, they're choleric, and you're both functioning your choleric behavior differently. And many times it has to do with your life experiences. Again, your feelings of rejection, your feelings of unworthiness, your feelings that nobody else cares that you could do something that they're looking for somebody to do. All those things play off of your life experiences that you choose to add in as a mixture with your giftings. So you have to choose wisely what you keep from an experience in life and what you reject. You, there are things you have to reject. It's just how it is. It's like if you were to eat, there's some fruits that you would not eat the seed, no matter 
how pretty it looks. You just, if, if you eat the seed, the seed is bitter. Or if you eat the seed, it could harm you. You, there are things in your life, there are experiences that you go through because of the mix of people that are involved in that experience. Some of them you have to reject what they have to say, and some of them you carry on for the next time. And that's what Jesus did, isn't that what he did? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, every time they spoke to him, none of them ever said anything that was edifying. They always pointed out why he should not be doing what he was doing. It's not that he could not, ability-wise. It's that he should not. And when you look at your giftings and abilities, honestly, if you really evaluate the times that they were rejected, it wasn't because you couldn't do it, meaning you didn't have the ability to do it. It was because the person rejecting you felt like you shouldn't do it. There's a huge difference between the two ideas and between the two reasons. And you have to put a, you know, uh, put a little sword swipe through it and separate the two and decide, was it that I couldn't do it, that I didn't have the ability, that I wasn't good enough, that um, it's not something that is my thing, or was it that they didn't think I should do it? Meaning they didn't want me to do it for whatever their reasons were. The other thing that you want to always keep in mind is protocol. That's a whole different lesson, which I can teach in another podcast. But even though you have a gift and ability, you have to respect protocol in using it. So Joseph is a perfect example of this. We know that Joseph is a great administrator and he could interpret dreams. And he said that God empowers him in both. Now, when he was taken from prison to come before the king, when he was in prison, he couldn't groom himself like he would if he were living in a regular house every day, taking a shower, shaving, doing all these things. So he had on prison clothing and he was having on his body. He had a prison look. So when they were in a hurry, remember the king had been going through all these people. I don't know how many days or how many hours it's been since he's trying to get an answer to his, to his problem here. And in those days when kings weren't happy, people started dying. So these guys were all interested in having this man find out what his dream meant, what it was about. They were all interested in having an answer as much as the king was. So when they, the um, guards went to get Joseph, they were in a hurry. Joseph was pretty much uh, made aware of what of a you know hurried situation this was. So they were trying to get Joseph to go just as he was in front of the king because the king already had a heads up that this was a prisoner. But one thing that Joseph did that changed the entire routine that these guards were used to. Joseph said, I must change, I must get ready. Joseph went, took a bath, shaved, put on the correct clothing before he went in front of the king. Joseph did not display his gift on a dumpster, a trash can, and didn't smell. <laughs> that was key. Joseph went before the king. He didn't have to tell him his whole life story. He didn't have to say any of that. He just went before the king, answered the king questions, gave the king solutions, and shut his mouth. And then the king decided that you're the guy I want to solve these problems for me. Do you see how that works? 
So today, my question to you is, what is it that you know how to do that is so easy for you that you could do this thing with no time notice whatsoever? You could answer these questions. You could paint some. I mean, I just admire painters. I'm just like in awe when I see somebody produce a piece of artwork that's just like amazing. Like I could never dream of doing something like that. And, and to them, it's nothing. I mean... To them, they could just see a picture one time and just draw it out of memory. And oh my goodness, I just admire that so much. Well, just as much as we want to admire somebody else's gift, God has put something in us that he wants people to admire about us. And you are the one that are responsible for showcasing that gift. Stop hiding your gift, folks. Stop hiding the best things about you. Stop hiding who... God created you to be. The best gift, the number one gift that God wants us to showcase to the world is what Jesus told his disciples when he was ready to leave the earth. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The number one gift that God's given to mankind is the gift of salvation. And if you've received salvation, that gift is in you. That that reception of Jesus as your Savior. It is in you. Don't hide it. Don't cover it up in re religion and rejection and I can't do this, I can't do that. When the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Take that gift, take the gospel with you to the world, whatever area of the world you're in, wherever you go in the world, take it with you and put it on display. Do not hide it. Because, and don't cover it up in rejection. And don't cover it up in a bunch of rules and regulations and legalism. Let the raw gift stand. Let the, the true thing that Jesus did on the cross for us. As human beings, we're all born sinners. And he came as a sacrifice to, to lay his life down so we could have life. And all we have to do is say, Jesus, I receive you as my payment. I receive your sacrifice. I receive what you've done on the cross for me. I receive your victory as you rose from the grave. And you made a show of Satan openly that he is now stripped of his power and authority. And I refuse to give him any of mine. That's what you want to put on display. You want people to know that about you. Don't hide it. Wherever you're working, whatever you're doing, don't hide it. But here's the other part. Don't break protocol. Don't just go, you know, prostrate yourself out there and say, this is who I am and you better take it. That's what the Pharisees did. They were all legalistic about the whole thing. But Jesus, he did it in a way that um, it could be received by those who was his audience. And so today, I just want you to be blessed. I want you to just find out from God. And the best person to ask this question to is God. When I meet with clients, I just give them guidelines. I, but I could see the revelation come in them of what it is that God wants them to do. But the person that confirms whatever revelation they get is God. And he confirms it to them. Holy Spirit confirms it to them. And that's what we want to do with our lives. And I believe that we have gifts and abilities in us that as we go from decade to decade to decade, from glory to glory to glory in our own personal life, 
that God will reveal these gifts in us. God will enhance things in us. God will show us deeper things about who we are and what we can do. And so it's not just life experiences that's making us better. It's God's gift in us that's growing and thriving. And new gifts will arise in us that we didn't even know we had. And so that's what I want to leave you with today. Let's pray before we go. Father, I just thank you today for every person listening to this, every person watching this, every person that will ever encounter this teaching that there will be a breakthrough in their lives, that they will overthrow the enemy that has been keeping them bound, stuck, and on display on the wrong thing. Father, I just speak right now that every atmosphere that is at the sound of my voice is, is filled with peace and the peace of God that passes understanding. I command the spirit of fear and oppression to be, to be gone out of the atmosphere right now in the name of Jesus. We submit our gifts to you, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that you say when we submit to you, we will resist the devil and he has to flee. So we submit our gifts to you, Father, and we resist the enemy and his plans for our gifts. And we say he has to flee. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you guys today. And I hope that you are able to be blessed. Share this with someone that you know that will be blessed by it. And I'll see you next time.